Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 894. But the big man merely laughed, moving his head to the side as he jerked the innkeeper off balance again by his wrist. None of that, he chided, backhanding Quoth across the face. The innkeeper let out a yelp and lifted a hand to his bleeding nose. The soldier grinned and casually drove a knee hard into the innkeeper's groin. Quoth doubled over, first gasping soundlessly, then making a series of choking, retching noises. Moving casually, the soldier let go of Quoth's wrist, then reached out and picked up the bottle of wine from the bar, gripping it by the neck. He swung it like a club. When it hit the side of the innkeeper's head, it made a solid, almost metallic sound. Quoth crumpled bonelessly on the floor. The big man looked at the bottle of wine curiously before setting it back on the bar. Then he bent, grabbed the innkeeper's shirt, and dragged his limp body out onto the open floor. He nudged the unconscious body with a foot until it stirred sluggishly. Said I'd give you a kickin', boy, the soldier grunted and drove his foot hard into Quoth's side. The blonde soldier walked over, rubbing the side of his face. Had to get all clever, didn't you? He said, spitting on the floor. He drew back his boot and landed a hard kick of his own. The innkeeper drew a sharp, hissing breath, but made no other sound. And you... The bearded soldier, pointing a thick finger at Chronicler. I've got more than one boot. Would you like to see the other? I've already skinned my knuckles. It's no bother to me if you want to lose a couple teeth. Chronicler looked around and seemed genuinely surprised to find himself standing. He lowered himself slowly back into his chair. The blonde soldier limped off to reclaim the purse from where it had fallen while the big bearded man remained standing over Quoth. I suppose you figured you had to try, he said to the crumpled body, giving him another solid kick in the side. Damn fool. Pasty little innkeep against two of the king's own. He shook his head and spat again. Honestly, who do you think you are? Curled on the floor, Quoth began to make a low, rhythmic sound. It was a dry, quiet noise that scratched around the edges of the room. Quoth paused as he drew a painful breath. The bearded soldier frowned and kicked him again. I asked you a question, Cully. The innkeeper made the same noise again, louder than before. Only then did it become obvious that he was laughing. Each low, broken chuckle. The end of the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. So there's a great opportunity here for him to go, I'm Quoth, and stand up and his shade appears on him and he kills them all, right? And I think that's kind of what we're, that's what Bast expected, right? And that's what maybe even Quoth thought was going to happen. Mm. He's, when he picked the fight. I'm going to break our cardinal rule, but Quoth practically says as much on the next page. Mm. Uh, and I think that's really... Not only is it, like, you know, theme stated of the book, like, who do you think you are? And, you know, Quoth is just, like, chuckling blood coming out of his mouth. Uh, but it is, like, 
almost like a like a splash of cold water to the reader's face. Like that's not the story you're reading, fella. But it is the one uh-huh, best fella. expect, <laughs> and it is the one that we expect, mm-hmm. which is neat. It's interesting because it feels almost like both in telling the story to Chronicler, with like ended up psyching himself up unintentionally. Absolutely, yeah, but that—that yeah. that is what Bass intended, right? Oh, so okay. That—that is—that is by design. That—that that is certainly our theory of like why Bast has arranged this. He's like hoping that like by telling the story and then giving Foth an opportunity to put the skills he's just been talking about into practice will like snap. Well he's he said that, right? He said that to Chronicler when he was menacing him. He says that he wants his Reshi back. I don't know if he says I'm going to arrange opportunities in the real world. Well no, I don't think he says I'm going to have the people come and rough him up, but he does say that I I want you, Chronicler, to do this so I can get the story to Mm. to inspire him to return to being cooked. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know that I am sometimes accused on this podcast of like, not looking for like what is being seeded for not like paying attention, but I really do think that the one, two punch of who do you think you are and Quoth's line on the next page, which I'll talk about on the next page is a really important clue to the idea that Quoth has been renamed. he's Someone has literally capital N named him Quoth, and that's why he can't do his magic bullshit anymore because he's literally, magically speaking, not the same person. Mm. He does not have the same abilities. He can't play music the way he used to. He can't sympathize or name the way he used to, and he can't fight the way he used to. And that would be a satisfying, magical explanation for the loss of all his different skills and abilities. Much like how in D&D, uh, like getting like transported into a new body or like uh, having like levels drained out of you literally takes away your abilities. Hmm. Similar kind of concept, I think. So, okay. So if he was renamed to be Coat, then where is Quoth? Like does Quoth just not exist? Well, yes. so there's, there's a bunch of theories that like Quoth is in the box the, the V oh. and the H are the voice in his hand, which I think is a bit too prosaic to actually be the answer. Um, but... Oh. Ooh, oh, I, actually, I, like I that. Oh, there you like that. I also like that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I regret bringing it up. But yeah, that's, that's the theory that I've seen around. I love it. I actually, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Nick, you have been outvoted. Oh, no, no. I'm the one who's being sent to the island. That's right. Oh. Nick's going to show up on a goblin glider and uh, <laughs> <Back> to formula. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that's a good movie. Marvel should just repackage, like, just like re-release that movie and say, "Here's the new Spider-Man movie." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they they are kind of leaving money on the table because, like, those are part of the Marvel Cinematic Canon now. You know, and Sony's also got them in there across the Spider-Verse canon now. So there's no, you know, they totally could just re-release those movies and be like, hey, here's a new thing. You That's know? right. You loved it. Now yeah. show it to a Remastered new generation. Yeah. Or whatever. yeah. Well, I mean, unironically, right? Like people our age would take their kids who have not seen the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man to see Tobey Maguire. Yeah. Spider-Man. They'd probably ask about it. They'd probably like, who's that guy in the Spider-Man movie? You say, well, you see, when but, I was your age, I had a Spider-Man. That's right. And I mean, you know. God help us, DC's doing the same goddamn thing. And you know what? Like, they're not wrong. Michael Keaton is the only thing that could get me into a theater to see The Flash. I'm not going to go into a theater to see The Flash. But, like, that's the only thing that could make me do it. Yeah. Someone pointed out that DC, 
you know, one of the reasons that franchise failed is because they rushed so hard to get their crossover. They didn't, mm-hmm. you know, Marvel for all Marvel for all their faults let it sit and they let it foreshadow. And they had everyone got a solo movie, uh, but DC really wanted to see DC Jordana did not edge, whereas Marvel that's was right. Marvel knows how to edge the audience. Yeah, yeah, but DC was just rushing straight for the climax. Mm-hmm. They had all the characters in their crossover before they were all introduced. Mm-hmm. Right. When, and, you know, actually, that's part of Marvel fatigue is that now they're doing that right now. They're cramming. Although I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, we don't need to see Spider-Man get bitten again. No, but, no. You know, but the big crossover, like, you can't start with Avengers Infinity War. Right. You have no, to do some to earn that. Yeah. You have to set up those characters. Yeah. And so who knows? Maybe James Gunn can write the ship. I, I feel like if any auteur of the superhero movie could write the ship. I think James Gunn is as good a candidate as any. I'm excited to see. He's making some interesting swings with yeah. the slate of movies. What I like about James Gunn is the same thing I like about Taika Waititi is that he understands that superheroes are fundamentally unserious and that and Jeremy is starting is, I see him. I see your hackles rising. The vein in my forehead is throbbing. Yeah. But no, no, that like not that they're not that they're silly but that in order you have to kind of they are people who wear tights for a living. They're fun. Yeah. They're, Superheroes are fun. They're fun and like, you know, goofy is the wrong word, but to, it's, I don't think it's wrong to do like the Christopher Nolan, like utterly based in reality take on, on Batman. I don't want to use the word gritty because it's been overused. That's not like a wrong take, but I think what, what people have responded to certainly in James Gunn's work is that like, it's fun and they are illogical and you can lean into that lack of logic. Um, and you know, or not illogic, but like they have their own warped logic. You have to lean. Like, I feel like maybe you can correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth here, but I think the thing that I think is sometimes missing from superhero films and is certainly missing from the Zack Snyder, Christopher Nolan, uh, David bad suicide squad version of a superhero movie is like they're so afraid of not being taken seriously that they take themselves so seriously that they miss what's fun about the characters. Like, mm. put Harley Quinn in a Harlequin costume. She's a Harlequin. It's her name. <laughs> that that's not. I mean, I agree with the sentiment. I don't necessarily agree that that's like the first thing they could do to correct the vote. Well, <laughs> I think someone was like, "Oh, it's like it's not cool to put her in a har- in like a Harlequin costume." It's not cool to have her be the Joker's girlfriend. That's like sexist. And then what do they do? They put her in fucking booty shorts, which is way worse to me. It's like way more exploitative and weird. Yeah, well, I think there's a line to walk between that and camp. That like, have you, do you see Peacemaker? I haven't. Peacemaker is a genuinely good show. Like, it's definitely greater than the sum of its parts. I don't care for John Cena. I didn't care for the character, particularly in the movie that it spins off from. But the show is really good for that reason. It's fun and it embraces this weird wacky logic and it has space nonsense, which I know you love. I, I generally don't care for space nonsense. Don't put words in my mouth. I don't genuinely speaking, I don't generally speaking like space nonsense in my superhero stuff. You're always going on about how like X-Men going to space. Yes, X-Men is the exception. <laughs> X-Men space nonsense fucking wins. But like <laughs> Avengers space nonsense, generally speaking, boring. DC space nonsense, generally boring. Excellent space nonsense. <laughs> absolutely rocks. The bird people, the Shi'ar, the, the Imperial Guard, the Phoenix, all that shit. Absolute, like, amazing A-game A stuff. Okay, That's why well, the X-Men movies are bad. They don't have the space stuff. The space nonsense in Peacemaker, like, is pitched at that same level, and I think it works, and it's largely because it 
it tells a human story without shying away from the like intrinsic unseriousness of superheroes. I mean, even to use a simpler example, in James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, the villain is Starro the Conqueror, the giant starfish from space that mind controls you with its little starfish. And it's awesome! <laughs> like, it's so, it's genuinely scary and weird, but it's also like, the yes, there's a blue and pink gigantic starfish kaiju in our R-rated superhero movie, and we're going to acknowledge that it's a little bit silly, but also you're going to fucking love it. And that's the energy you have to bring to a superhero film. I agree. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, especially in DC, but it's rising in Marvel. There's like a kind of contempt for the audience or an expectation that they won't, that you like have to win them over or you have to like, that they won't accept something. And I think in particular in movies, especially when compared to how, you know, how comics have been pitched for a long time. And I've said this before, you can get away with stuff in comics that you can't get away with in movies, or at least you generally they haven't taken the risk on in movies, stuff like Star of the Conqueror. And yet when they do take a risk on it in the movies, like, I can't think of a time when it hasn't paid off for them and they fail to learn that lesson again and again and again. Like, James Gunn made Guardians of the Galaxy, one of the biggest franchises at Marvel, and it's hinged on a bunch of characters no one's ever heard of, including a talking raccoon and a tree. Yeah, well, this is not really about the characters. It's, or, like, those it's characters end up being good. It's, it's, yeah, but it's not based on your uh, affection for those characters. Like, I think Zack Snyder, like, or, you know, the, the DC movies as they were pitched were expecting you to come bringing that affection for those characters. And, you know, I think many of us don't have the same kind of affection for those characters as they do for some, but it's been well, proven that you don't need that affection. As long, well, I mean, as, as long, long as, as your filmmaker yeah. has an affection for those characters and has a compelling story to tell. And like, that's what makes James Gunn's movies so resonant, right? He, like he makes you really care about the little talking raccoon. He makes you care about, like, the ancillary characters, like the blue space pirate with the mohawk. Um, it's not that I think that this isn't important, because I'm sure it is, but also we've gone way off the page. do you think that there has been a podcast that has talked about the DC movies, Jordana? Yes. Do you think that has occurred? Because well, I've I certainly never heard it. We're breaking new ground here. <laughs> right, so, like I was saying, the page... Yes, it sounds like you have a lot to say on the page. I actually don't, because you were talking about not the page for so long that I forgot. Mm. And this Mm. is why I think that we should take a brief moment to um, browse the page. All right, the violence. I want to talk about the violence. Because on the previous page, um, on the previous two pages, the descriptions of the martial arts stuff that Foth is doing are very reminiscent of the style in which the excuse me, in which the style of like the martial arts and the endeavor sequences are described, right? It's kind of, it's economical, but there's some poetry to it. It's very clear and it's like elegant. Like, and then I, I think maybe I'm scooping you here, but it doesn't seem to have a lasting impact. Whereas everything that the guy does to Quoth is brutal and thuggish, but it really like clocks him. Like he feels everything. It, you know, it, the first guy he seems to have taken out of the fight. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he didn't, you know, he, he punched him in the face, which can definitely rattle you. And then he sort of pushes him hard away. But yeah, he, he doesn't seem like he's, you know, to bring it back to Batman in uh, the Arkham games, you know, when you do a finisher on a guy, you clearly take him out of the fight. Yeah, well, he's <laughs> not like breaking his arm in six places, yeah. Batman style. But, and like, that's a really good point because it's even called out in the He's text. He's explicitly not breaking something. Not a sharp kick of the sort that breaks bones, but a hard kick that sent him sprawling backwards. And, you know, 
I don't want to analyze two pages ago because we've moved on from that, but you could read that as, uh, you know, both having learned a little bit about excessive force and trying to take these guys down without doing them permanent damage. Maybe I kind of read it as him like almost toying with them at the beginning. Like, Cause he's think, overconfident. Yeah. Thinking that he's about to toy with them. Like that's, mm. that's how I kind of read it. Mm. But the violence that they inflict on him is, as you say, really visceral and nasty. Like, and they're not like fancy. He, Hits him. Uh, he grabs him by the wrist and like jerks him around like a doll. Yeah, and then he kicks him in the balls and clunks him on the head with a bottle of wine, and like that knocks him out. And then they kick him a bunch while he's down. I think it's very reasonable and makes a lot of sense that he would get knocked out by being hit in the head with a bottle of wine. And I commend this book for putting something realistic into the fight scene. And also, like, not having the bottle break, because it's such a cliche in, like, a movie bar fight that, like, you hit someone with a beer bottle and the bottle breaks, and then you've got the, the pointy end of the beer bottle to stab someone with. And, like... If it's a full wine bottle, it's much less likely to break. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that glass is pretty thick. And it's, like, heavy, right? It's full of wine. It's, like, you know, like, a liter of wine that you're clunking someone with. Now, listener, if you're ever in a bar fight, I've heard it said that if you try to break a bottle on someone and use it as a shiv, it's just as likely to slice your own hand open as it shatters, uh, and you won't get a good stabbing weapon out of it, so uh, don't bother. Mm-hmm. In the much movie- better as a blunt force trauma weapon. Yes. Well, you should. <laughs> I think, really, you should hit them in the head but let go. Right, you know, like don't, because oh. you, you know you don't want to cut your hands. You're just like you know, clonk them and move on. Yeah, listeners, this has been bar fight corner. That's right, <laughs> bar fight corner. You've heard of bar way. stool, but we're bar fight much better. <laughs> yes, because bar. all of us have definitely been in a bar fight. Yeah, bar fight media. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're constantly taking people and like sliding them down the full length of a bar. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Jordana's raising her pint over it so that, you know, she's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. under the party. <laughs> and then the guy, you know, you you know at a glance that she's seen so much, she's unfazed by this. Mm-hmm. Sort of like the... This the, happens every Friday. Yeah. You know, and then when the fight's over, they go back to their drinks and the band resumes. Mm-hmm. Playing the one song they all know. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, he's, he's clocked by the wine bottle. Yeah, and, also, and then... Also, Chronicler, very, like, I as an audience member, I'm, like, annoyed. I'm like, come on, man. But also, I totally get it, because this would be me, right? If I just saw the guy who I knew was, like, a hero out of legend get his ass handed to him by this one bandit, I, too, would take a seat and let them take but what they want to yeah, I think it's significant that he stood. Like, I fully expect Yeah, without realizing. Yeah, I think yeah. that's actually to his credit that he sort of uh, un- unthinkingly was moved was to... Like, I should do something. Yeah, which I think is to his credit. You know, I think yeah, a lot of us... It speaks to his... Uh, where, where his heart is. Yeah. Yeah. His heart yeah. is in the right place. Mm-hmm. And it tells... So, you know, it tells us... So is his logic. His character. <laughs> I also... I do think it's funny that these guys still identify as soldiers. The guys like... Yeah, they're like, oh yeah, we're the king's men. Yeah, two... <laughs> who did you think you were going up against two of the kings? I was like, you just took the coin. Which actually does ring true because you know that as soon as someone like gets conscripted into the army or assigns it for them, they're like, ah, you are now well, fighting an enlisted man, sir. I, I don't read it that way. I read it that they've pulled this, this, they've had this line before. I think they've been soldiers for a while and they're like, their line when they're doing this kind of banditry is, is oh, we just took the coin, coin, here it is, you know, okay. can you break it for us? Okay. Right? But I think they have been soldiers for a while and I think they have this hustle going on the side. Okay, that's also that that's, makes more sense. That that, that makes that makes sense too. I like my reading better because it's funnier, but uh, that does make sense to me. 
is there just that also they don't seem like fresh soldiers you know yeah yeah i mean unless they were bandits who got recruited you know if they were making a living being bandits before they're on their way to the front but like well we might as well do some banditry on the way yeah but i think that is what it is i think that is kind of they're just not the the quoth and uh fast place is not the first place they've bandagetized because that's a word yeah, it is now. <laughs> wow, this was a 20 minute or Yeah. Well, we now that we've stop. talked about this page, we can get back to talking about what we're really no, doing. No, 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 no. movies. <laughs> I, am, right. I am ending this now. We will see everyone tomorrow for another page of the wind and not Marvel or DC thing. Goodbye. <laughs>